Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12A to the zone. Welcome in on a football Friday. And if I dare say this out loud, a bad football Friday. Utes are favored by 23. BYU is favored by 40 and a half points. We got blowouts on our hands here. Utah State's an eight-point underdog, but I'm not sure, and I don't know anyone in the media who is sure, if Jordan Love is going to be able to play, and if he plays, how healthy he'll be. So it really makes it look like Boise State's going to win that game. If anything, I'm surprised that line isn't bigger. To be honest, I thought it'd be up around 14, but what do I know? All right, let's get you started with a little football. Let's start with BYU quarterback Zach Wilson. He's back, baby. He's got a game under his belt. Shake off a little more rust against UMass and be ready for San Diego State in the season finale. Here's Zach Wilson with the media. Super pumped. No one, no one deserves it more, man. I mean, such a good coach and, and, and just like cares about you like a father figure. I mean, he's the type of coach, you know, any time of the day, me or, you know, Micah or whatever players will go up there in his office and just you know, sit down and ask how your family's doing. And, you know, he's just a good dude. You know, he deserves to, to be here um, for a long time. And, you know, the, the bumpy road BYU's had in the past, you know, I think that's just all part of the process and him making this program great. So pumped to have him here. Overall, how do you, how do you think you guys have done at taking care of the ball this season? Yeah, I mean, not bad. I mean, I know we've had a couple that, you know, really didn't have a huge impact in the game, and then we've had some that really hurt us. Um, you know, I think it's a focus for us every every week. Um, you know, I don't know the, the stats reflecting on other teams, how other teams have done compared to us, but I know that the games that we don't turn the ball over, we have a higher percentage of winning, so it's always the goal. You were really high on the receivers before the season started. How do you think they've played, especially those three seniors? Yeah, they've gotten better every single game. I mean, huge strides by all of them. Um, you know, a great work ethic and, and tenacity those guys have just to get the, get it done and come out here and practice and just, you know, just, just dominate the whole practice. And so those guys are, you know, they're seniors because, you know, they're, they're focused and they want to help this team win. So got to watch them on the sidelines for a couple of weeks. Does, does it say something about those guys, the receivers, that they're able to kind of adjust, whether it's you or Jaron or Baylor in there and really kind of not skip a beat the way they did? Does yeah, for sure. I mean, that's that's something I mentioned in, in the post game last game is, you know, that's why we can have quarterbacks come in and, and have so much success is because, you know, in your game plan just to get get the ball in playmakers' hands and those guys can extend plays, you know, catch a, catch a ball behind the line and make someone miss for a 15-yard gain, you know, that's huge. Um, so all these guys are playmakers. They've all grown up to be really good, really good receivers. As far as going to UMass, do you, uh, you guys treat it like a business trip, or are you, you going to see some sites? Or I'm not sure, honestly. I think maybe they mentioned a museum we're going to go see, but you know, it's always a business trip. Um, you know, the guys got to be focused. We got to approach every game like, you know, like it's our last. We only got 12 games, 13 games of the bowl a year, and so you know, there's no reason to not prepare like it's a business trip. But you know, going down on a Thursday, um, we'll have some time. I think the last 10 a.m. Mountain start was Toledo. Yep. You, is that a factor at all, kind of your body clock and all that? Um, I don't think so. You know, personally, I like getting up early, having the earlier games going for us. Um, you know, I don't think it should affect us. I think these guys take it seriously. We all get to bed early, um, get up get up early, ready to play. So. What do you have to say about the, the freshmen and the backups that came in towards the end of the Idaho State game and what they showed that they could do? Yeah, those guys have just you know been itching to get on the field, and so 
you know, it was really awesome to see that those guys would come in and, you know, make plays. And so it was good to see that we have some depth for the next couple of years and guys that, you know, were just maybe in high school could step up. Yeah, just noticing the wrap on your mm-hmm. Is that just precautionary? Or yeah, it's just something to kind of, you know, stabilize it. Um, you know, I did come back sooner than expected. So I, I kind of just, I choose to do the wrap. I really don't need it. Um, it's really just to get out some of the rattling or if I smack it on something that it's not going to hurt. It's kind of just going to hold it in place. And so, um, yeah, just a little easy tape job. There's BYU quarterback Zach Wilson. Now here's Utah's defensive coordinator, Morgan Scally. Morgan, same question I asked Coach Witt. Are you trying to guess how much you're going to see of each quarterback or just prepare for them equally, or how do you go about that? Um, you know, well, the good thing is, is both of them have extensive film. Both of them have had significant reps. Um, and really, you do have to, you know, it's the system that you really have to prepare for. Uh, one's more of a runner, obviously, but at the same time, the other's proven to pull it as well and take off. So um, very good system, number two in the conference in terms of rushing offense, I think three in passing offense. So they do a really good job and uh, they're coached up well. And one of the, you know, my favorite backs in the league, tough as nails, the Taylor kid, love that kid. And then uh, again, just they're doing some really good things. What's making your defense click? And you're pleased with everything you're getting? Well, we've got good players. You know, you've got good players that, that care and that uh, buy into the culture. And you've got great coaches um, that, you know, demand or demanding uh, with their position groups. Um, and, and good things happen. You know, it's, it's a senior-laden defense, obviously an upperclassman defense. And, and they should be this way, right? Um, so it's all about the players. Players make plays, you know. I'm just out there calling a the defense. I don't do anything, you know. But it's it's nice to have coaches that are demanding in practice, that hold guys accountable, and uh, it's so fun to work with this group. You watch the way they practice, uh, the way they prepare for a game, and uh, it's just a joy for us to be a part of. You've called such a variety of things this year. Is it? I don't know if toys is the right word, but weapons at your disposal. I mean, is it fun to have so much? talent and flexibility on your no question yeah like I said it's all about the players and and the the better the players are the more you can do and you know also with that it's the different kind of offenses that you're facing right you've got a Washington State that's you know about 78 percent pass you've got your run game in in Arizona right that that they're primarily a run game you're 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 Washington's and Oregon State's where they're going to shift in motion you to death so uh, it never gets stale because you're always preparing for something new but like I said to, to have players that care like these guys care it's fun Sione Lund, um, what have you seen from him since he got here and his transition to defense? Oh, a lot, of, a lot of progress, obviously, with scheme. But, uh, but I think the the thing that's allowing him to make more plays and, and uh, feel more comfortable is is the weight control. You know, he came in and he was overweight. He's he's dropped the weight. He's asked. He's done what we've asked him to do, and uh, he's seen his reps increase. Go ahead. You've had the perspective playing on the 04 team, coaching on the 08 team, this team. Do you see any comparisons to the previous two visits to the national stage? Uh, well, ask me after the season. Okay. But no, I mean, uh, the, the thing with this group is leadership. You know, okay. they lead from within and they hold each other accountable, and that's what I think both of those teams had in common. Coach Witt doesn't like us talking about his 60th birthday, but it's not stopping me. So, okay. Uh, <laughs> compare 
the coach would of 2000 that you first knew to 2019? Man, <laughs> it's it's all I don't know. It's uh, first of all, I'm not going to talk about his birthday because he doesn't want you to talk about his birthday. Right. So, um, but uh, I've been with him almost every every day, so it's hard to see. You know, he's just. I think early on, you know, you go through growing pains, you know, and what you've seen every single year is just just him being more comfortable with this is who I am and the players will buy into that uh, and they have this is a tough program it's a disciplined program he doesn't shy away from it we don't shy away from it we don't back down in recruiting we tell our recruits that Um, so it's just him being more confident that, that his system works Morgan, you guys are number seven again in the college football playoff rankings. Does that matter? Do you follow that? Doesn't matter. <laughs> Ask me after the season what we're ranked, and then that that will matter to me, right? It doesn't. I can't control that. Control the controllables, and we, we can't control that. Just we can control what we do against Arizona, and that's what we're doing right now. This is something that you can't control. Kyle said that when you guys go to Friday night movie theaters, that you sit in the lobby and watch game film. You don't participate. Is there a reason? No comment. Is that down to like rumor and hearsay? <laughs> Julian said you missed Midway, which was a great movie. Hey, you know, just whatever. No comment. Back to the players. Thanks, uh, yeah. how, how are they able to play what looks to me like their A game week after week? <laughs> um, it's in the preparation. And, you know, they, there's players that play the game uh, for the fun of it and then there's players that, that play the game and, and take it like it's a profession right um, you know a good sign is how many of your players throughout the week are in the players lounge versus how many are in the film room and uh, you know you can go in our players lounge and it's pretty much empty so that's a good thing You've been part of the construction of a lot of defenses at this school. Looking at kind of the blueprint of how this one is made up, is there anything that stands out in terms of how you guys piece this together over the years, or is it just a bunch of really good pieces coming together? Now it's it's Kyle Winningham's defense. It hadn't changed much. Uh, We've done tweaks here and there, and uh, he's one of the best defensive minds in the country. And uh, I just learned from him. So, you know, the, the the best thing is is that again. It's all about the players. It's all about the players, and credit to the coaches for, for recruiting those that those right. those guys to this this system. Right. Um, it's you know kind of a the system is what it is, and it stayed that way. Sure. So it's easy for us to be able to recruit guys, knowing this is what we're looking for in each position group. So um, you know, Coach Witt's the man and uh, just fortunate enough to be in this system. Why are you guys so successful at transitioning players from one position to the other, whether it's on the same side of the ball or not? It seems like you guys, more than most programs, are willing to take that risk, even at a, at a prep level, where you can go in and convince a guy, like, he might be a great running back, but you will come in and say, hey, if you come to Utah, you can be an all-conference linebacker. Well, it starts at the recruiting level first, right. taking guys that are willing Right, not lying to them, saying, "Hey, we're bringing you in this position," and then switch them two weeks into into camp. Um, just taking the raw materials, knowing what we look for in each position group, uh, having guys that are team guys first, and then coaches that have been in the system 
for a while, yeah. right? Yeah. And and uh, that, that consistency is big. There's Utah defensive coordinator Morgan Scally. When we come back, he writes for the Arizona Daily Star. Michael Levy, he's the beat writer covering the Wildcats. Does he see a path to an upset? Does he see a path to a coaching change at the U of A? Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's time to talk Utes and Wildcats with Michael Lev, the Arizona beat writer for the Arizona Daily Star. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint is the network built for Unlimited with great deals on great devices every day. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Michael, good morning. Hey, how you doing? We're doing well. Michael, I'm, I'm curious going into this. We look for games. Hey, this could happen. That could happen. The game could break this way, it could break that way, but we're struggling with this one. Looking at Arizona's defense giving up 37 points a game and the Ute offense seems to be humming right now. It doesn't seem like there are a lot of storylines available. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to find a path to an upset in this particular matchup. Um, Frankly, I I think that Arizona has to play a near-perfect game and I think Utah has to have some sort of a letdown game for the upset to happen. And we have seen that in the past in this specific matchup. Um, I think it was 2015. Utah came here in November uh, as the 10th ranked team in the country, and they ended up losing yeah. uh, 37 to 30 in double overtime. Um, I believe that's what the score was. Uh, so it is possible. I mean, they are college kids. You know, weird things do happen. Um, in Pac-12 games that night, um, strange things sometimes happen when you go on the road. But it's still really hard to see any of that um, or believe uh, that any of that is realistically possible. So the best that I can say about Arizona football is that Sean Miller hasn't been fired and Pace Mannion's kids playing and the basketball team's 4-0? <laughs> you, you could make that case. I mean, it definitely feels like that shift has taken place around here. Um, where you know people's attention has turned almost fully uh, to basketball, and I, I understand it. I don't. I don't blame them. I mean, this has been a really disappointing season for football. The second one um, in a row uh, under Kevin Sumlin. Uh, I mean, I I thought this team was capable of going uh, seven and five, um, and there were several reasons for that. I mean, one was that it was the second year for the coaching staff, and that there was supposedly a greater comfort level uh, between coaches and players and players and coaches. Um, A lot more experience coming back. They had done uh, some smart recruiting to enhance the offensive and defensive lines by bringing in some junior college talent. Um, You know, Khalil Tate was going to be in his second year with this coaching staff and was supposed to be healthier um, and a better player. And it just hasn't come together. Uh, on either side of the ball for a variety of reasons. 
So, given all the problems defensively for Arizona, are the Utes going to run the ball all night? They're going to throw it. They're going to do both and have a ton of success. How how are they going to attack here? Yeah, well, I mean, if you look statistically um, at Arizona's defense, it's like the way to attack them is through the air. But I don't think that Utah is going to, you know, um, venture too far from its game plan. And I think it's going to come in here and try to establish the run. They are the run-heaviest team in the Pac-12 and have had a lot of great success doing it. And the area, you know, if you can do that, the area where you can really exploit the Arizona defense is uh, by setting up the play-action pass. And I think Utah is going to establish the run and then try to set up deep shots down the field. Um, teams have had a ton of success working in the middle of the field against Arizona, especially the area between the linebackers and the safeties. Um, we've seen that time and again, um, and I think that sets, that suits Utah's offensive strengths really well. Um, so I think that's you know that's going to be a major problem for the Wildcats. And I think if I'm Arizona, I, I try to sell out to stop the run. Say you know what we're going to try to take this one thing away from you and kind of force you to into doing something you don't want to do. Uh, whether Arizona can actually pull that off, I think it, it's kind of. It remains to be seen, and it's it's kind of unlikely, frankly. So we mentioned Tate, and he burst on the scene a couple years back and was just awesome, and last year injury-riddled and all that stuff. And this year it seems like he's splitting time. What can we expect as far as who's playing at quarterback? Yeah, I mean, even as bad as things seemed last year, he still threw 26 touchdown passes against eight interceptions. Um, this year, that ratio is 12 to 8. Um, so, you know, less than half as many touchdown passes, just the same number of interceptions. Um, his play has really fallen off since he had what a lot of us thought was kind of a breakthrough game um, at Colorado this year. It was probably the best passing game of his entire career. Teams started to pressure him in a way that they hadn't previously, and it, it really threw him off and, and threw off the entire offense. And then you add to that offensive line injuries, and it's been kind of a mess as far as the passing game goes. He'll split time with freshman Grant Gannell. That's what they've been doing um, the last several weeks, for better or worse. Uh, Which one of them will start remains to be seen. My guess is that Tate is going to get the start because it is senior night. The last time he'll uh, be playing a game at Arizona Stadium. Um, And they've kind of had a fairly regular pattern where the starting quarterback will play the first two or three series, uh, the backup will come in, and then they'll kind of play it by feel uh, in the second half. So um, we'll kind of see where that goes. I think it's kind of interesting that Tate has never really faced Utah, or Utah hasn't faced Tate when he's been healthy. Um, He hadn't become the starter yet in 2017. You'll recall um, that that Colorado game happened after Arizona had already faced Utah, and Tate didn't even play in that game. And then last year, he was injured heading into the game, and he got hurt worse in the first quarter and had to leave. So I'll be interested to see if, you know, it's sort of a, uh, a situation where he kind of empties the tank against Utah and kind of tries to, tries to give the youth the full taste experience that they, they have yet to, uh, they've yet to have yet. So the freshman quarterback from Texas, Grinnell, is he a total pocket passer? How does he play? What might the youth see with him? Yeah, he's a different style from Tate for sure. I mean, he's legit six foot six, 
Um, he's physically, you know, in the mold of a Brock Osweiler or a Philip Rivers. Um, you know, pretty good athlete is capable of extending plays. Um, will take off and run every now and then, but his game is get the ball, read the defense quickly, get it out of my hands as fast as I can, uh, and into the hands of my playmakers. Whereas Tate is often looking to extend plays, create big plays. You know, I would describe Gunnell as a point guard, you know, and I would say that Tate is a playmaker. Um, that's the, that's the, that's the best way to describe their styles. Um, it's sort of, you know, the reason that the platoon has been somewhat effective because they're so different and it gives defenses two different things to prepare for. Um, but yeah, they're really nothing alike when it comes to their, to their playing style. Is someone in trouble? Uh, that's a good question. Um, and I was asked that question the other day too. And I, I think it's, it's fair to wonder where this thing is headed. Um, you know, this again, like I said, the second, you know, disappointing season in a row, barring some you know, major, major upsets here at the end of the year. Um, you know, it is possible they could lose to Utah and then beat Arizona State at the end of the year, which would give them the same record as a year ago, but a different feeling heading into the offseason because you would have won that ASU game, um, which is the most important game around here. You could make a case that, you know, that's a sign that things are headed in the right direction. You know, you're going to have a new quarterback, sort of a different leadership five next year. They're going to bring in a different defensive coordinator. Um, I think that the way things have gone, that next year is the critical year uh, for uh, Kevin Sumlin, um, kind of the make-or-break year where he really needs to hire the, the right defensive coordinator, and there needs to be some tangible proof that this program is headed in the right direction, you know, rather than just rhetoric that it's headed in the right direction. I assume that he is safer at Arizona than he is at other schools because they are less likely to be able to afford a buyout. Am I right about that? Uh, I think that is an accurate assumption. Um, my understanding is that it would be uh, $10 million that he'd be owed if they were to move on from him, but um, that the payment would be broken up into two chunks. Um, you know, not that $5 million is you know a small amount of money, for, for anyone, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but you know, I don't have that kind of money lying around here under my mattress or in the bank or, or uh, what have you. But yeah, the 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 financial component of it is a real factor. Um, and that that's that's a big deal for Arizona, which um, is you know maybe relatively cash strapped compared to some other schools, and is also you know working toward a renovation of Arizona Stadium that's going to cost north of 150 million dollars. Um and that's a project that they want to get off the ground um sooner than later. So I definitely think that that's a consideration. Um obviously the longer you go into these contracts, the lower those buyouts become. So that's another reason why I think he's going to get um at least another year uh to try to get this thing right. So as I understand it, he barely makes guys available for interviews and is not exactly warm and fuzzy? Mm, I mean, it, it, when he first got here, that was definitely the vibe. Um, and things have loosened up um, to a, a great extent. Um, that first spring, um, after some uh, behind-the-scenes negotiations, we were able to come up with an arrangement where we got to talk to the assistant coaches. And then 
this past spring, we got, you know, assistant coaches and players, and we got someone, I want to say, three or four times over the course of spring. Um, and then they set up a structure during fall where someone would go on Mondays, and we get about half a dozen players to talk to um, on Tuesdays. So it's not as bad as it was when it first began. It's not exactly how I would like it to be. I mean, I would love to be able to talk to the coordinators, let's say, uh, periodically during the season or have a little bit more freedom to talk to freshmen, which is something that we can't do. Um, But it's been better uh, than it was um, when he first started. So the fan base doesn't get to know anything about the players. You're not talking to them and writing stuff about them because you got limitations on you. And the team isn't winning. So how's the enthusiasm around the program? Is What's the crowd going to be like? Or are people basically just shrugging and going to basketball games? Yeah, attendance has not been awesome. Um, I think the only time this year they've been over 50,000 was for the Washington game. and I don't have the figures in front of me, but I think – They've been under 40 for the other uh, games this year in the in the upper 30s, which um, is not ideal uh, for sure. Um, they've had some bad luck with start times too, which I know is something that you guys can relate to um, as well. You know, they were coming off a great win over uh, Colorado on the road, which is a really rare thing around here to win a road game, and then they got an 8 p.m. start for that Washington game. The fans did turn out, and it was. It was a big disappointment, um, and the, the homecoming crowd for Oregon State uh, for an afternoon game was under 40, which was kind of surprising to me because I know a lot of people had been pining for an afternoon game, and it was homecoming, um, but it hasn't been great, and I think that even though Tucson is a great sports town, when it comes to the football program, there's still this kind of seeing is believing vibe to it, and people... People will come out for a winner. Um, they come out for women's basketball now in, in a way that they haven't in years because the program is winning. Uh, baseball has great attendance for uh, for for what you know what most people get for that sport. Um, football, biggest stadium, um, the biggest sell, probably the worst starting time, and you combine that with a program that really hasn't gotten off the ground. Um, and that's led to um, attendance that's been really frustrating and disappointing for the for the administration. Well, I don't think you cover the basketball team. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that is true. Yeah, obviously you know the person who does, and whoever it is, if they need dirt on Pace Mannion, have them call us because we used to work <laughs> with them up here in radio and TV, and we got all sorts of stuff we can give you that you can use to embarrass him. <laughs> People love Nico down here for sure, and this whole this whole freshman class. It's a, I mean, you talk about like you know, what's the vibe? I think the vibe around basketball right now is one of great enthusiasm. People are super excited um, about this freshman class, the style of ball that they're playing right now. Yeah, all I know is that uh, since he committed, the Mannions moved into a much bigger house and Pace has been driving the fanciest <laughs> of sports cars. I mean, I'm just saying, that's all I know. <laughs> yeah, I know nothing about that. I'm, I'm going to plead the fifth on that one. Yeah, I'll just know up here, we all love Nico, too. It's Pace who's shady, and he's right. the one. Right, exactly. He's the one we're keeping our eye on. We're not worried about Nico at all, but Pace has got some growing up to do, basically. <laughs> Pace would be a good nickname for Nico in a way, too. Just kind of the 
based on the style, the, the style of play, the pace manian style. Yeah, yeah. Up tempo. Yeah, exactly. Nico will attack the rim. There's no question about that. <laughs> All right, well, Michael, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. Anytime, guys. There's Michael Lev from the Arizona Daily Star. He doesn't see a road to an upset. He doesn't think there'll be a coaching change, but he does think the pressure is growing on Sumlin pretty quickly and pretty dramatically. You know, they started 4-1 and one this year. They've lost five in a row. They should make it six in a row. They might lose to ASU and be on a seven-game losing streak going into the offseason. That'd be rough. All right, DJ and PK, when we come back, the Joe Ingles Show. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time for the Joe Ingles Show. He came on at the very end. He was literally the last 15 minutes of the show yesterday. 9.45. Uh, They were flying back in from Minnesota. We knew it would be a little later. We never get him this early. As a matter of fact, he's going to discuss his sleep habits. He needs more sleep than ever. Uh, Trying to to be a pro athlete while uh, tracking down kids. So, here is Joe Ingles. You'll hear a few last nights he's referencing the Minnesota game on Wednesday night. Here's Joe Ingles. Hey, yeah. This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush. And it's time to hear from the best looking, most charismatic, and certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle Bells! Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe till the cop slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show. With DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. Time to welcome in the man, the myth, the legend, the master of time, space, and dimension. Yes, it's The Joe Ingles Show once again on 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. The Joe Ingles Show, brought to you by your hardworking friends at Mountainland Supply. For all your plumbing and irrigation needs, go to mountainlandsupply.com. Joe joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Get $100 off the redesigned Apple Watch 4 with a new line of service. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Joe, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing well. You know, I've, I've, right. heard, I've heard of positionless basketball, and I know it's a, a trend we've been talking about forever, and it's getting more true as more people are switching everything. But, man, watching you, you and Carl Anthony Towns go at it. How often do you play center in your life? I can't say I've done that very often, um, or or guard at a center. But um, I guess yeah, kind of like you said, that the game is very different. Um, I mean, even just from just from last year to this year, Towns was playing the four. Um, I think he had Taj Gibson starting next to him, and um, at the five, and yeah, everyone's kind of up a position and making it smaller so um, I think I don't think there's many teams I think we were probably one of the, the last teams I always remember the obviously the Memphis with Gasol and Randolph and then I think us with Rudy and Fave were kind of the one of the kind of last teams to really do it and then um, yeah everyone's I mean there's been times where we've played 
Um, obviously, Jeff at the five this year. Jeff was a three man a few years ago. So, um, yeah, it's just kind of the way it is, the, the way the game's going a little bit. Is he the biggest, not, and not necessarily just tallest or longest, but he, is he the biggest, strongest, most athletic guy you've ever been asked to match up with? Um, I guess if you are referring to like actually where coaches said to me, hey, go and guard this guy, um, he's obviously, I don't know what they list him at, he probably got listed a bit shorter like everyone else, but... Um, Obviously, near seven foot and kind of plays like a guard. Really, he, yeah. he kind of sh- he shoots. I think he's second in the league. We were saying in our scouting report, he, I think he's second in the league of three pointers made. So it's pretty impressive for a, for a center. And um, yeah, like I said, it's kind of changing the game a little bit. So it's uh, you just got to figure out each night and each way, figure out a way to win. And um, we're obviously able to do that from the first game to the second game against him. Yeah. So, uh, in your mind, what was the biggest difference between games one and two in this little mini-series, mini-matchup with Minnesota? Um, I mean, I think Rudy, I don't know what you want to call it, adjusted, maybe. Um, I think Towns is one of those kind of unique players in the league that you've got to play differently to other guys, to different standards, to, to, to different guards, and... Um, I think even Rudy would say he's probably had a bit, bit, a bit too much space, and like I guess the way we play, Rudy's usually protecting the rim, but for him to have to be up there was different. And um, obviously, he watched it and learned pretty quickly from that first game. I think he shot fifteen threes in the first game. I don't know how many he shot last night, but it, maybe four or five. Um, Rudy did a, a hell of a job of um, making it really tough on him. Uh, I remember looking up at one point. Um, and he had like three or four points or something, and it was in the third quarter. So Rudy, Rudy did an amazing job on him. I think for us offensively, I think when when you make shots, um, it takes a bit of pressure off your off your defense. And, and we were able to make shots last night, um, which took a bit of pressure off. But then we, yeah, we were able to get some stops too. And like I said, slowing down Towns is obviously a pretty important part of their team. You know, I thought that uh, Rudy was really fired up and flying all over the place. And I also thought Carl Anthony Towns, from uh, how much he was talking in the two games to just kind of the smiles when he hit a shot and the body language, it seemed like there was a little extra juice. And, you know, you're playing 82 games and they're just coming at you one after another. Did you feel that and notice that or no? I think, honestly, I think they've had a little... Uh, I don't think they would ever, either of them would ever take away from their team winning the game or not, but I think there's always a, a battle going on. I think they've they've kind of been compared a lot in their careers in terms of um, All-Stars, All-NBA, all that kind of stuff. I don't think, like I said, I don't think Rudy would try and do something over the top that would hurt our, I guess, hurt our team for us to get a win. But, I mean, it, it just, it is what it is. It's... Um, two guys that are at the very, very top of their positions. and um, I mean, I think Towns made the All-Star game. Rudy made All-NBA. There's always, uh, as much as you don't want to play individually or or focus on an individual kind of battle in a game, I mean, there's always going to be a little bit of that. And I think um, they're obviously both really competitive and want to win and want to be great players. And they they enjoy... I mean, you've got a a really good offensive kind of 
popping centre versus defensive player of the year. Um, it's a it's a pretty good battle to watch. Did it feel different uh, for you, and, and do you like it as a scheduling thing? Would you like to see the NBA go to more? It seems like four or five times a year you get these sequences where you're playing a team, if not back-to-back, you know, still twice in a week. And so does it up the level of preparation and up the quality of ball? I mean, it's almost like a mini playoff series, really. Yeah. Like you, it, it, I, The thing I don't like about it is I think it's, re- I think it's really hard to beat a team obviously twice in a row um, or three times in three weeks or whatever the schedule is. I think it's, it's tough. It's, you can adjust, obviously, so much. Um, like you do in a playoff series, you play game one and you, you make a ton of adjustments to game two and obviously playing them on whatever day it was and running it back two days later, you can watch the film and, and really adjust and in that in that span of time, especially when you play them twice in a row, there's not too much that the team's going to change. Um, obviously, for them, Wiggins was back, um, but your style isn't changing the way you play. I think if you play a team in September, October, and then you don't play them till February, it, it, it can be a lot different because you figure out more about your team and about the the, the way you got the, the the way your team plays, the players on your team. Um, Maybe there's injuries. Who knows? We have a trade deadline. There's a there's a ton of things going on. So um, I guess it's yeah. Like I said, it's it's. I think it's really hard to to win two games in a row against um, the same team on back to back nights. Yeah. You know, I thought one other crazy thing that happened in that game in Minnesota was there were so many whistles in the first quarter and then very few in the second quarter. Whereas in the first quarter, it seemed like any to every touch. It was a foul. It was a touch foul, just automatically. There's even just brushing by someone with contact, and obviously both coaches were mad. And one coach got a T, and Quinn turned around and walked away. I thought he was getting close at one point. As a player, did you notice all the whistles and think, "Hey, I got to play this a little differently"? Uh, this is the thing where maybe coming off the bench it gives you a different view of the game, or did you think things were going to just kind of they can't call fouls at this rate anyway, so let's just keep playing? Yeah, I think. I mean, as cliche as it is you, you don't you don't really have a choice but to um kind of move on and, and just focus on what your team's doing and it's probably funny coming from a guy like me who talks to the referees every possession but um yeah i think you just like you said you get a a feel early on on how how the game's going to be called um like you said sometimes it's there might be a lot of fouls early on there might not be later on you just, like you just don't Obviously, it's 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 not different every night, but you just got to you've you've got to sit there and um, kind of read how the game's being going to be played out. Um, I think we've we've done a pretty good job all year of, of adjusting to referees. There's obviously times every team and every individual thinks that you're getting a hard whistle, but I mean, I I remember having a conversation with one of the referees, Tyler, last night, and I was just like, "How can you like how can you see that when you're right there?" And then you realise like. I mean, how much is going on with ten players out there, and there's one ball, and they're all moving, and there's only there's obviously three of them. So, um, yeah, it's. I mean, obviously they've got a pretty tough job to do. So, um, I'm very happy for them. They do a great job. <laughs> have you have you ever refereed in any way through along your career? No. When I when I was playing in high school, I refereed, and it was just high school uh, girls' team scrimmages, and both teams were screaming at me, and I knew a rule, and they did. I just remember thinking, this is a nightmare. I don't want to do this. I do not want oh, to do this. No. Nah, yeah, it would be 
it would be a tough job because I think and you th- uh, like you think about it a little bit, but you think we think about the preparation we do and the time that we put in, and um, obviously they have to do this, the same thing in a different way. Um, but they go back and watch film and they get critiqued by whoever their boss or um, the lead referee or whatever it is, and they go back and okay, yeah. I definitely 100% will never ever be a referee. I can tell you that. Yeah, you, you can you can referee kids. That's enough. You don't need to referee a game on top of that. Uh, that's enough. Well, I have enough problem refereeing my own children in my own house. Never mind 10 kids on a court. Joe Ingles joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. You know, uh, I was listening to the broadcast last night, and I listened to a little bit of radio and a little bit of TV, so I got to, I think it was Locke who said it, but it might have been Bowler. But they were talking about the 10 new guys on the team. And I was, you know, there's a lot yeah. was made of the chemistry the last couple of years, and you all went to dinner. As you get out and you get in the season here on the road, is there a chance to hang out and get to know guys? Because you can't force that stuff to happen. Maybe the road's a chance to get to know each other a little bit, plane rides and all that. Yeah, I mean, it's. Um, I think it was talked about the last couple of years. Um, I don't even honestly know kind of how it started. I think, well, honestly, for for the what is it, six years I've been here now, we've 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 been like that every year. It, it, I mean, there's. I think there's there's teams that are obviously a bit closer than others, and maybe that was that's past relationships or whatever it is, or, um, but. I mean, you probably know better than me. You've been around the jazz longer than I have, but the six years I've been here, the the I mean, a key part of their recruiting and the the organisation is is bringing in really good guys. Um, obviously, yeah, you want great players and you want to win games, and that's kind of the the number one priority. But you also want coachable guys and, and guys that are like by the fans and that, that are doing stuff in the community and that are playing their ass off every game and um, obviously like we, we said getting along off the court and we've I mean I can't I couldn't tell you a guy here in the six years I've been here that I think really well or um, when they were a part of the team they, they, was, they weren't coming to team dinners or, or whatever it is so um, I mean that's I think that starts from the top and that's obviously with the Millers and and um, how they go about life, um, kind of treating it as this, this family organization, and then it kind of breeds down through the, through the organization. And yeah, I mean, like I said, it's, it's been like that since I've been here, and this is this year's kind of no different to that. We we still go on team dinners when we're on the road. We hang out, um, guys. I think the other guy the other night, a few four, five, six guys went to the the Utes game. Um, I was in bed at eight thirty, so I couldn't make it, but. Um, yeah, it's just it's just the way it is here. I think I think it's a it's a great way, great a great way to run an organization. Eight thirty, old man, following the kids. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm in bed pretty early these days. Yeah, Mike, Mike actually tried. <laughs> not that you guys probably won't really care, but Mike tried to FaceTime me the other day, and we were in Utah, and I was in, it was like eight thirty five, and I saw the call, and I was like, oh, maybe something's up. Like, I maybe I could answer it. I was like, we're in Utah, it's 8.30, he's completely fine. I'll just text him, and I texted him, and I asked what he wanted, and he was like, I just wanted to talk. I was like, dude, I'm in bed. Me and Renee are laying in bed watching a TV show or whatever we were doing. Leave, leave me alone. <laughs> All right, memo to self. Call Joe before 7 p.m., okay? He's shutting this thing down. <laughs> you, got, you got kids to tuck in. Seven. You got a show to watch. 
Lights out. All right. Well, Joe, we appreciate a few minutes. Uh, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you. You'll be on an Eastern road trip next week. Good luck with that. No worries. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. There's Joe Ingles. He's with us every week. When we come back, all the headlines. What is trending? Stay with us.